Hello, I'm Alex Rutkeen, a barrister at Third Known Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law, and I'm really pleased to be joined in the shed today by Gavin Davidson. Um, anyone who's heard any of these before or seen any of these before will know I really don't like introducing the person I'm speaking to. I'd much prefer the person to introduce themselves. So, Gavin, over to you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, thanks very much, Alex, and, th and thanks for the opportunity to, to join you. Uh, you know, I, I think this is a, a brilliant de development here, shed in ours, and uh, a, a great way to get the opportunity to talk about um, some some of the issues. So, th so thank thank you. Um, so my name is Gavin Davidson. I'm a professor of social care over at, at Queen's University in Belfast. Um, before that, I was a social worker in mental health services from about ninety five to two thousand and eight. So. At Queen's, my main responsibility in terms of education is for the course that prepares social workers to fulfil duties under the mental health and mental capacity laws here. And in terms of research, my main focus is mental health, certainly, but hopefully with the themes around social justice and human rights and hence the sort of interest in, in mental health and mental capacity law. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, there are so many things I'd love to talk to you about. Our paths have intersected in lots of interesting ways over the years. But the reason I've sort of asked you to come into the shed is in relation to an incredibly interesting article you led on recently, which I will put a link to um, on, on the page associated with this, where it's sort of digging into how one goes about comparing data in, in mental health systems across jurisdictions. And, uh, and maybe just sort of start with, well, what was the impetus for the article? And then we can get into sort of you know, headline points. Um, yeah, there are a few re reasons, that I think, for, for the article. Um, I, I suppose, first of all, I, sh I should acknowledge, like every, everybody else who uh, worked on it, uh, there was a, a big uh, group of us. Um, so I'm, I'll mention them very quickly, if, if you don't mind. So Please, yes. Elizabeth Agnew, who's uh, from Law at Queen's here, Lisa Brophy, you know, obviously from La Trobe in, in Melbourne, Jim Campbell um, from uh, University College at, at Dublin, Mary Donnelly, who, who you know well from um, uh, University College Cork, and Marie Farrell, who had uh, one aspect of the work, who's, who's now uh, at Edinburgh, Tricia Forbes, who, who's at, at Queen's here as well, Rhiannon uh, Freud, who, who works with um, uh, Anne-Marie in, in Edinburgh, Brendan Kelly, who uh, edits the, the journal, who's written a, a, a awful lot, I suppose, on these issues uh, from Trinity in Dublin, and Claire uh, McCartan, who works in the Regional Trauma Network in Northern Ireland here. So, so, so it was a big group of us. And yeah. to some extent, one of the reasons for the article was bringing together sort of different pieces of work we've been involved in, all around sort of data and outcomes. So the, in terms of the context, um, so some of the reasons were the developments in mental health and mental capacity law and associated policy in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So there's been a lot happening, I suppose, as there has been around the world in, in terms of changes. So one of the reasons was thinking, what, what's the opportunity here to see how well these changes are happening, if they are happening, and how effective are they in terms of achieving what they are sort of aiming to do. Um, and also a bit of the more general sort of focus on outcomes, the sort of the discussion around the information that we, we usually collect about these issues tends to be very sort of stark figures about how many, you know, how many people are uh, admitted to, to hospital on, under these legal frameworks, how many tribunals there are and so on. I'm wondering if it might be useful to uh, 
routinely collect more information about how well they're working um, from everybody involved. I mean, there's lots of great research, I, th I think, hopefully, and that will further develop about people's experiences of these processes. But we were, I suppose, trying to explore the opportunities there might be uh, to collect more information about how well they're working and to use the developments in different places to try and facilitate comparison. Yeah. Um, well, actually, do you mind if we stick with the sort of that that second, I mean, the, the sort of second of the points first, and then we maybe go back upstream, as it were, to think about the changes in, in, in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. So just sort of talk me through. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, so much of what happens is just raw stats and you go, well, I don't really, you know, what's that telling me about? You know, what's the numbers of missions telling me? I mean, there might trends might, but it's not telling us anything about the experiences. Can you sort of walk us through if you had free reign, you know, to design data gathering based on this this collaborative work and, and, and cross, you know, cross jurisdictional work, what would it how would you want to be doing it? What would you want to be doing? Uh, yeah, this is it's a it's a great question because um, I suppose there there is definitely a balance between I mean from the research perspective as you know we tend to want more data uh, sort of um, but there there is a real challenge I think in trying to find the right balance between asking people to provide information about what's happening which will give us enough information to, to explore things like people's experiences and the effectiveness of what's happening and not diverting the sort of the limited resources there are in services uh, away from sort of direct work with people. So I think it is a very difficult question. Um, the, the information that we have traditionally collected about, as, as we were talking about, in, in terms of uh, hospital admissions and the, the number of compulsory admissions, and tribunals and so on is really important. I, I definitely think we, we we should continue to do that. Um, even that in terms of the North-South comparison is um, interesting. So it, it looks like there are about um, uh, sort of tw twice as many um, sort of uh, uh, com compulsory admissions uh, uh, per capita in Northern Ireland compared to the Republic of Ireland. So even just the information that we have uh, routinely uh, provided each year um, by um, the Mental Health Commission in the South and uh, Department of Health and uh, the uh, Regulation Quality Improvement Authority in Northern Ireland is is really helpful. But I think what would what has been explored in in the research, but not routinely uh, sufficiently, is um, those two big aspects of what's happening. So people's experiences of the process. Um, so what in the process are people finding to be helpful or, or not helpful from everybody's perspective, certainly from service user and carers perspective, but also from the pro uh, professionals involved perspectives. Um, and there has been some work in terms of research, but much less in terms of routine data. And then crucially, which I, I think there's a big, I suppose, and this is another driver emphasis currently on establishing routine outcomes me measurement in mental health services generally. And in, in terms of this focus on mental health law and mental capacity law, it does raise questions then about what are we actually trying to achieve through the use of these laws? It, it, is it really to try and, um, I, I mean, I, I assume it is to try and promote and protect people's rights uh, better, but how do we know that's happening? Does, does it feel like that for uh, people? Um, 
or or perhaps at times um do people feel that these uh, processes um are further restri restricting their rights they're not uh, effective in terms of what we're trying to do so i think that's the those two areas of people's experiences of these processes and how effective are they what are we trying to achieve and and are we achieving it i think we we could really do more on in terms of routinely monitoring how that's going that second point yes i mean i'm going to come back in a minute to the slightly mind-boggling difference in per capita detention i'm sure there's a, i'm sure there's a reason and i want to sort of get into that but but that second point of what are we trying to do is really reminding me of work when we were on the i was on the the mental health act review here and what always really struck me was if our mental health legislation which looks pretty similar in lots of ways to the mental health order in northern ireland doesn't start with any form of what are we trying to do it just starts with here's a definition of mental disorder if you you know tick it in the right way then we can think about admitting you in some way and i've always been really struck by the fact that even just baked into the legislation but there is no statement of well, what are we trying to achieve and, and i mean i remember at one stage i was charged with can you come up with a purpose clause which never made it any further. It didn't make it into any draft legislation and we don't know in fact what's happening. But, you know, what are we trying to do? Are you trying to secure the best, you know, the, the highest standard of mental health? Are you trying to ensure the right to life? I mean, who, you know, I think there's, there's, the research angle is so important because it sort of sheds light on, well, why have we got this legislation? What is it actually doing? I don't know what your your thoughts, because you spent so long both as a, as a social worker thinking you know, of working it and then reflecting and thinking about it and researching on it. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the, the, the aims are, ex are exactly those. They are around sort of, uh, uh, protect, protecting and uh, promoting people's uh, uh, rights. Um, but yes, but the more difficult question is, how effective are these laws in doing that or the ways that we're implementing them? Um, it, there, there's also, I suppose, the concern that we might look to the legal frameworks to address wider um, issues, which are about um, how services are resourced and organised and provided and accessed and so on. Um, so that's, especially in, in times of ch change, I think that that can be a concern that... Um, complexities and issues and problems that we've been trying to manage um, for many years um, suddenly get sort of blamed on whatever the, the current change process is. But um, but yeah, I think it, it would be good um, to have that. I would be interested to see your draft purpose uh, statement, but uh, it, it would be good to have a, a clear, this is what we're trying to achieve because it does raise questions about um, those potential tensions in there about the obviously the sort of the right rights uh, mental health and well-being and so on of the individual uh, and also concerns about um the people caring for them and wider society and so on so yeah yeah and i think i think that point and it comes out in the paper as well that i mean partly the kind of data gathering point of focusing purely on the mental health legislation is slightly missing the point if you've actually got also all sorts of wider data you need to be gathering to work out well where is this located and what else is going on and i, I read one of the things i really like to fight the paper is that point you're making it's this is contextual stuff yes and that raises more questions about information so how, how easy is it for us to um access information about um you know a clear and accurate statement of 
how, how much money is, is being devoted to mental health, health services in each uh, jur jurisdiction. Um, yeah, uh, and sort of there often is sort of re reasonable data about um, activities, uh, as we we're talking about in terms of um, the, the legal frameworks, but more generally in terms of the number of people accessing services, although I think we would struggle to do that in, in Northern Ireland, even trying to get an accurate figure of the number of people in the mental health workforce is a, it's a challenge. It's currently been addressed, but nonetheless, uh, it's not routinely sort of immediately available. And then the big gap again in terms of uh, some information about people's wider experiences of, of, of services, but yeah, um, Yes, we definitely need all of the information, but but I suppose hopefully in the article we do acknowledge that uh, that these are difficult things to do. But but I suppose even if we can encourage just a few um, aspects of or ways of trying to collect some limited information routinely in a way that it can be compared would be would be really helpful. Even if getting complete information about everybody's experiences would be extremely difficult. It's that, I think, it's yes, and I think it's that comparison point, which is one of the things I like so much about the article, is, is can we have a common language, at least, so we can work out why, you know, there's, I mean, not least things like, but there are massive disparities in, in admissions between, you know, compulsory admissions across Europe. You know, what's that telling us? Is it telling us different legal frameworks? Is it telling us different socioeconomic problems? Is it, I mean, who knows? But unless you've got that sort of, that common language which i love about the paper saying let's try and work out how to have a common language then you can't know what the kind of comparison you know how to make sensible comparisons yeah yes exactly i mean people have have i mean there are great there's some great research articles i mean i mean an early one was by uh, sort of george mcclure and, and colleagues in the early 80s uh which was looking at sort of variations and associations with um de deprivation and, and so on and in terms of uh, compulsory admission uh, so with with within uh, England and there's some early examples sort of from the 90s and so on of comparisons ac across Europe but they do I mean as you, you say they they do raise more questions they do identify here are big differences in in rates uh, and hopefully the the comparisons are reasonably accurate sometimes what you're actually comparing can be difficult um to sort of be precise about so for example in northern ireland um our compulsory admission data has um until recently been the number of people who were uh, detained at the point of admission and so it didn't include the number of people who went into hospital voluntarily and were subsequently um de detained on, under mental health law but i think if you were to talk to most people about that um if you were to say you know who would you include in compulsory admission numbers? I think most people would probably include those people who went in voluntarily and were subsequently detained. And now the Department of Health does uh, produce bo both of those figures, but yes, there can be issues about just being, yeah, being careful about what, what you're com comparing. Um, I mean, just on that, I mean, just on, and that, that stat you gave a little while ago on, on the difference, differential rate between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland in, in terms of compulsory admission, can you sort of just help me with thoughts on what what that's indicating? Is it is it the differences in legal frameworks? Is it different in sort of professional cultures? 
I mean, not not holding you to the definitive answer, but I'm just it was such a head, it was such a striking variation on a, on on in one not very large geographical location, albeit with a border, right? You know, border two thirds of the way up or down, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, first of all, I hope I hope it's accurate. It was just based on. Um, so I, I I sort of you know in bed last night thought I better just check that because it would be a very reasonable question for Alex <laughs> <laughs> to say well what is the you know what's currently available what is the difference so I just did that the, this this morning from the figures from the mental health commission um and from the sort of hospital statistics here um and so it looked like to me in the south there were about 2621 admissions including those who were admitted and then detained for a population of 5.1 million and in northern ireland there were 1795 for a population of 1.9 million so hopefully i have the calculations right in terms of about in the south about 51 per 100,094 in Northern Ireland. So the question of why the difference is a, is a really, that's really the sort of fascinating part of this, I think. So ideally, you know, from a, we're all sort of ra rational uh, beings and our decision-making is, is uh, an assessment process are great. Ideally, I suppose those differences would be to do with um, differences in uh, people's needs, es essentially. And they, they would reflect a, a higher level, for example, of, uh, in the words of the sort of the relevant law of sort of mental disorder and, and risk. Um, I think, and this is part of the reason for the article focusing on the island of Ar Ireland. I think it's extremely unlikely that that's the case, given how similar the jurisdictions are in in in, man in many different ways. Um, so another possibility is that the, the wording of the law is different. And so there are different thresholds which are directly related to, to how the, the laws have been um, uh, written and, and passed. Again, that seems unlikely because, you know, as you know, our, the Mental Health Act in, in the South and the Mental Health Order in Northern Ireland are, are very similar and very similar to the, uh, your, your own Mental Health Act and, and so on. So. Again, that seems un un unlikely. So then you move into what are more uncomfortable areas uh, to try and explore variations, um, which um, maybe focus more on um, what services are available to try and uh, prevent admission, uh, what services are, are available as alter alternatives to admission. Um, there's also, a, I suppose, a an unwise assumption that uh, a higher or lower rate is 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 better or worse. Mm. I mean, it's also difficult to know what what's the right um, amount of um sort of uh, the use of, of compulsion. Obviously, compulsion for some people can be protective and positive and, and helpful. For others, it, it may it may not not be so. So it's it's also hard to know. And then I suppose so as well as the service context and the wider societal context. There's also a the sort of uh, concerns about which are really difficult to get at I think about variations in professional training and practice and um, ways of ass assessing um, and so on that that uh, develop over time and there's there's also I mean this is a an interesting I think consideration in terms of the difference between sort of um, the traditional focus on mental health law of compulsory admission into hospital and the, the sort of relatively new focus of mental uh, capacity laws, because the traditional sort of mental health law 
to, to some extent is limited by the number of beds. Oh, gosh, it's fascinating. Um, I normally try and keep this to 20 minutes and I'm gonna, I'm really going to have to resist the temptation to get further into this because just what that can of worms are opening is just there are so many and you can't have a facet to a can of worms, but there are just so many fascinating things that are really important things to dig into. And it's not just about Ireland, either, you know, either the north or the south. Uh, and that really important. I mean, it's so useful. You've got the paper that's the bigger scale, but then using Ireland as, the, as a kind of microcosm to start teasing this out. So, as I say, I'll put a link to the paper um, on, on the page associated with this. And Gavin, thank you very, very much indeed. And also to, to the colleagues you mentioned at the beginning of, of, of the discussion for all the work you put into it. Thanks very much again. Uh, thank you, Alex. That was great and good to see you. And you.